0: run into here is the fallacy of fairness. There's no such thing as fairness. My kids hate that I say this, but it's true. There's no such thing as fairness. It's a fallacy. You cannot make things fair for everyone because someone will always be harmed by that. You cannot take from one and give less to them so you can give equal to everyone without being unfair to someone. to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The truth of God's existence is known. It's known. Where do we get that from? let's just look at what the verse says. So the truth of God's existence is known. What's it say here? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. No one has an excuse. No one. There's no argument that people can stand on and say there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They have to suppress the truth. What can be known about God is plain to them because he has shown it to them for his invisible attributes. Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. A very, very important line there. They are without excuse. Every person that you know, it says God does not exist. Is lying to you and to themselves they know let's think about a few things just for a second some things that God has revealed remember his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world think about the universe just for a second now for us this looks like uh, the the picture in the beginning of a movie that we might watch together maybe some people are sci-fi people here I'm not sure but the universe is full of lots of complexities Many complexities, some things that are difficult for us to put our finger down on. So let's look at just a few of them this morning. Arguments that probably everyone is at least a little bit familiar with, but they're good arguments nonetheless. So the complexities of the universe. Here's a question. How many stars are observable? If you go to a telescope and you start counting the stars, how many of them are observable? Interestingly enough, one billion trillion you ever have an argument when you're a child and you say well i bet you a billion trillion gazillion million dollars." that's what we're talking about here one billion trillion stars you can observe through a microscope now that's amazing that's amazing because uh, the national debt is in the trillions and we can't even get our mind on what that looks like to see all those dollars stacked up imagine all the stars stacked one upon another it's amazing The universe is so complex. Beyond that, another fine argument, I consider it to be a fine argument, is the distance of the earth from the sun. If you remember from school how far that is exactly, it's 91.459 million miles and not one more, not one more, not one less. Why is that? What if that distance would change? What would happen? Well, we all know. Any closer, we'd burn up. Any further, we would freeze. I've seen some different calculations of this. Some people say one inch closer. One inch is all it would take. Some people say one inch farther away is all it would take. Some people say that it's in the tenths of inches. And of course, there are some people that say it's within a few few feet. Now, uh, the highest estimation I've seen is 10 feet. 10 feet's not very far. Me to that pole over there. Move that much closer, we burn up. That much farther away, we would freeze. The earth is very, very complex. Many laws are universal. This is the understatement of the year. Can I get an amen? You do not want your car to be underneath that little rock. Many laws are universal. For instance, if you throw something in the air, it comes back down again. Amen? We rely on this every single day. You rely on the fact that when you put your foot on the air, in the air, that it's going to come back down again. If it doesn't, there's a problem. Many laws are universal. It's part of the complexities of the universe. Uh, one more which is extremely interesting, is the human eye. This close-up picture is so awesome. It's so awesome because you can see all the fibers, and and you can see deep within the iris. Uh, The human eye is extensively complex. It's so complex, I wanted to give everyone a number for perspective. The human eye is capable of absorbing and instantly processing more than 10 million pieces of information per second. 10 million pieces of information per second. I read a book a few years ago when I was uh, taking classes uh, by Mortimer J. Adler called How to Read a Book. He's talking about speed reading. I said, it's impossible. You have to be born that way. Not true. Not true. The human eye and the human brain is so complex, you can actually train your brain to read at rapid speeds. It's not necessarily something that you're born with. As you practice this, the retention just gets better and better and better. And he gives you some steps on how to do that. But the amazing part about that is, why are we able to do that? Because the eye is capable of absorbing, instantly processing more than 10 million pieces of information per second. This is why when you're driving down the road and you happen to see something at a glance, later on you remember a little bit about what you've seen, even though you didn't really focus on it, because you're obtaining all of this information and processing it. Charles Darwin, who I know everyone is familiar with, said this, To suppose that the eye, with all of its... In, with all of its contrivances, could have been formed by natural selections, evolution, seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. This is the man that that created and penned what's taught in our schools today about modern evolution. And he himself said, said what? To say that it was formed by natural selection is absurd. What's the other option that it was created? Let's look at Romans one more time. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Here's the way this goes. People can only point and guess and grab at the complexities of the universe, at the complexities of our day-to-day. They can only make guesses and assumptions if they do not have the Creator. We're the only group of people that have a truth that we can stand on, And that everyone else has to borrow information from in order to make their worldviews work. Why is that? Because the truth of God's existence is known. And anyone that wants to deny that has to work to deny it. And it's not easy. It's not easy. If you watch debates with atheists, some of the uh, more prominent atheists, they will tell you, well, we don't have an answer for that. But the beautiful thing about science is we don't have to. Well, good for you. Because if you go to a heart doctor and you say, why is my heart acting that way? And if he tells you the good thing about science is I don't have to know, you are going to get another doctor. Can I get an amen? You go to a doctor and say, I have the flu. What can you do to help me? And he says, I don't know. You're going to get another doctor. If you go to a mechanic and he says, I don't know why the wheel keeps falling off your car, you're going to go to another mechanic. You will not accept the excuse of, I don't know. And that's the beauty of it. That's a poor answer. I'm very poor answer. So the truth of God's existence is known first. And secondly, the truth of God's existence is suppressed. It's suppressed. Said this already, but want to dance on that just for a minute. Look at Romans 1, 18 through 20. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress The truth. They know. Everyone knows. Even agnostics that say, well, I'm not really sure, so I'm going to err on the side of caution. They know that's why they're agnostic. If you dogmatically know that there is no God, live your life the way you want. Everything else does not matter. But if you do know there's a God, then there's a demand on our lives to live in a particular way, to care for one another in a particular way. The exchange. The exchange is this. This man, Sam Harris. He had a very interesting quote. The entirety of atheism is contained in this response. Atheism is not a philosophy. It is not even a view of the world. It is simply a refusal to deny the obvious. Unfortunately, we live in a world in which the obvious is overlooked as a matter of principle. The obvious must be observed and reobserved and argued for. This is a thankless job. It carries with it an aura of petulance and insensitivity. It is, moreover, a job that the atheist does not want. This is from his article, There is no God, and you know it, by Sam Harris. The idea that this all came from nothing is stupid. I can't say it any other way. That's the truth. The idea that this all just started from nothing is stupid we are going to have some food in the back as soon as we finish here that came from a beginning it was assembled by hands that i'm very thankful for and uh, we're all going to be thankful for in just a few moments but it did not come from nothing it didn't it had a creator as do we atheism as we know denies this let's look at what uh this Very intelligent man, Richard Dawkins, says, The question of whether there exists a supernatural creator a God is one of the most important that we have to answer. I think that question is a scientific question. My answer is no. Matt Dillahunty, he is uh, an amazing debater. If you ever get a chance to watch any of his debates, this guy is ferocious. He goes right after us, Theus. He wants to knock us down. A God that does not manifest in reality is indistinguishable from a God that does not exist. The only way for us to operate autonomously is to suppress the truth of God's existence. So the only way for you and I and the rest of mankind to operate Uh, In our own strength, in our own power, and uh, without leaning on any outside force is to suppress the truth of God's existence. We have to say there is no God. There is no one to follow. We need to go by our feelings, by our emotions, and by what works best, best for the most and the highest number of sentient beings. And it is only by denying God that we can stand in his place. Something has to be God. Has to. We can't live without Him. No one, There's not a person living that can live without God. There's many people living today that want not to live with God, but we can't live without Him. So we have to deny Him in order to make our own power, our own strength for us to rely and depend on. And lastly... The truth of God's existence is exchanged for a lie. This is going to be the one we spend the most time on out of these three points. The truth of God's existence is exchanged for a lie. So let's read what the verses say, Romans 1, 21 to 23. For although they knew God, so that's everyone, including those that deny God, those unrighteous that deny God and suppress the truth of Him in their unrighteousness, although they knew Him, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. I heard a debate just a few years ago. Um, It was, uh, I can't think of the man's name, I can picture his face. And um, he's a creationist and he was debating against an evolutionist. And the evolutionist stood up and did this wonderful, wonderful presentation about how we came from a rock. Slime from a rock. And um, all of his math was there, and all of his distances were there, and he didn't have the missing link, but he had the math to be able to show where the missing link would be. He did an excellent job. Then stands up the theist to answer the question, how could have Noah existed, and how could have he fit all the different dogs there are in the entire world on the ark? And the man said, well, it's simple. Noah didn't have to fit all the dogs on the ark. He only had to fit on two, right? And from those two, the atmosphere changed, and there was different, different dogs, different types and kinds of dogs out there. But it only started with two dogs. So he showed a model and said, here are two dogs, and then here are two German shepherds. And he showed the whole line, and he showed all the lineage. And before you know it, we have you know, hundreds and, and hundreds and hundreds of different types of dogs. The guy stands up and says, you expect us to believe that all the dogs that are created, that all the dogs in the universe all came from two dogs? The man stood up and said, you expect me to believe all the dogs came from a rock? Who's more stupid? Definitely the evolutionist. He's nothing to stand on. Nothing. The exchange, the truth of God, for a lie. So, let's talk for just a second about this idea of giving thanks, because that pops out in there, and it seems strange. Of course they don't give him thanks. They don't recognize him as God. But the idea of not giving thanks is because we are claiming God's stuff as our own. We're saying, that's mine. That's mine. So they're my kids, it's my money, it's my job, it's my house, my car. They're claiming all these things for themselves... And they're not giving any credence at all to the God who designed them, who gave them, who created them. This brings us to a question. A couple questions, actually. Question number one is, uh, what is morality? This is a question that's very interesting to talk to people about because there's a lot of different answers out there. And uh, I don't feel compelled this morning to give a functional definition of morality, but I do feel compelled this morning to pick on other people's functional definitions of morality. We say, what is morality? And there are people that will say, well, it's whatever brings about the greatest good for the greatest number of sentient beings. Well, what about children with mental handicaps that does not bring about good for them? Uh, Well, the atheist does not have an answer for that. The unrighteous have no answer for that uh, because they would have to undermine their whole reality, all of their thinking, in order to support that idea. So what about people who are on machines that still are able to think, still are able to communicate, still are able to love, that just can't breathe on their own? What about them? Is it moral to, uh, to treat them in a particular way? What is morality? How can we bring about the greatest good for the greatest number of beings, of people, and not think about the best of of these people here? So what is morality? What does it mean to be moral? What does it mean to be good? Is morality universal? Another great question. Is morality universal? So um, if I've heard this before, and I think it's a good argument... If an alien race is found somewhere out in space and comes to earth and visits us and they want to eat you, what reason would you give them that they shouldn't? Well, that's no good. Uh, That's not a very good argument because they operate under a different morality. What if they say, well, it is good to me to eat people and say, well, it's not right here. You shouldn't do that here. See, morality is, is not universal without God. What gives human life its value apart from God's divine decree? What gives human life its value apart from God saying that it's valuable? Well, it's how you feel about someone. Well, this person is valuable because I love them. This person is valuable because they've been in relationship with me for a long time. I want to give another fair illustration that I've given before, but it's a good illustration. You are alongside four other people on a cargo ship and the storm picks up and is is threatening to tear the ship apart. There's a hole in the bottom. You're taking on water, bailing it out as fast as you can. In order to keep from sinking, you lighten the load of all the cargo and you figure that you are still overweight. The only way you can possibly have anyone survive is to get rid of two people. So being a Christian, you say, well, I'll go. You go to step up on the edge of the ship. You're going to toss yourself into the stormy sea so that at least three people can be saved. You look back and those four people that are standing there are arguing about who else is going to go. They don't have the same idea that you have. They don't have the same self-sacrifice. So they're arguing. At this point, even if you jump over a ship, those four are still going to die and you also. So what will happen? Well, first, they will go through and they will try to decide who is of the most value. They'll try to put a value on human life. Who has the most years left? Who has the most children at home? Who has the most offer to society? And when that fails, they will turn out um, into an all-out war, a physical battle, a struggle to see who will remain aboard the ship. Who wants to stay on board with those other two? Once that happens, definitely not I. What gives human life its value apart from God's divine decree? How can someone who does not believe in God say that person is valuable or that person is not valuable? It is subjective. What do they have to offer society? What can they do? What do they believe about this? What do they believe about this? What gives human life its value apart from God's divine decree? Let's just say it's a common morality. Let's throw that out there because that is an argument for today. Well, most people believe that this is the way you should live and this is how you should treat people, so we should treat people this way. Try telling that to these guys. This is a cannibal tribe on an island. If you land your ship there, Don't worry, you will be invited for dinner, but you will not be invited for a return visit. They eat people. They believe this is a good thing, and they are doing this under the premise of their religion. Is morality universal for them? No, it's not. It's not. You can try to convince these people what gives human life its value apart from God's divine decree. You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere at all. Typically, when I do premarital counseling, we go through three phases. We talk about the value of life, because I'm not marrying you if you don't value the life of the person you're getting married to. Talk about the value of life. We talk about the idea of covenant, how it is different than a contract. How in covenant, it is a promise relationship. It is different than simply having a contract. We talk about husband and wife, what God says the duties are of each. And we start off with the beginning, and I love doing this. I've done it several times now. I say, you are on your honeymoon on a beautiful ship, and you're going to visit this native island. It's it's beautiful. It's lovely. You're told to stay with your crew. You happen to get off of the trail with your crew and wander off, you and your new spouse. You happen upon a man beating his wife. One of the natives, what do you say? I always get different answers. I love it. Well, I would say that's wrong. What if the gentleman tells you this is right? Say, well, you shouldn't treat other people that way. And he says, well, she's mine. I can treat her any way I want to. You see, you can step back and step back and step back. And what you come to eventually is that without God, without morality, without God telling us what is right, we have nothing to go on but how we feel. The last couple I married, I told the gentleman, if kindness was contagious, you would be able to help this guy, but it's not. So what can you possibly say to him? Don't hurt her or I'll hurt you, was his answer, and I give him a lot of credit for that. Morality is only universal if there is a God. So how do you determine what is good and what is right and what is moral? How do you determine what is good, what is right, what is moral? Again, conversations I've had with people say being a good person means you haven't killed anyone. Good. There are lots of thieves out there that haven't killed anyone that many people believe are bad people. How are you right? Well, I'm right if the decision that I make is the best for the most amount of people. What we run into here is the fallacy of fairness. There's no such thing as fair. My kids hate that I say this, but it's true. There's no such thing as fairness. It's a fallacy. You cannot make things fair for everyone because someone will always be harmed by that. You cannot take from one and give less to them so you can give equal to everyone without being unfair to someone. Fairness is a fallacy. So we need something else to depend on. And what is moral? What, how do you determine what is moral? moral this the answer to these questions uh, that's the predicament of our culture we are attempting to define morality without a rule and that's a serious issue so I asked this question I've asked this before many times it always makes me think what happens when we all start cutting boards without a measuring tape What happens if 10 of us are going to get together and we're going to build a house and we're all going to start cutting the boards ourselves and nail these things together and none of us is using a measuring tape? I would not buy that house. I had some pictures up here of homes that people built without measuring tapes and I actually felt bad uh, because these people were really trying their best. So I said, I'm not going to make fun of these people. But the idea I am going to make fun of you absolutely cannot build a house without a measuring tape. You need a rule in order to build. When we rewrite the story without God, there is no standard. And with no standard, anything goes. Anything goes. I remind everyone once more ten years ago in Germany of the man that put an ad online looking for someone to kill and to eat. That was what he was looking for. Someone that he could invite over to his house, and he could kill them, and he could eat them. He had ten people respond. Ten people. He said, I want... uh," He didn't mind if it was a smoker, because he said smoked meat tastes better. He said he wanted someone clean, he wanted someone fit, he wanted someone that took good care of themselves, and he wanted to eat them. He finally settled on someone, he invited them over to his house, he killed them, and he ate him. So when this went to court... The problem and the question on everyone's mind was, what did he do wrong? It's gross. I understand I'm giving a gross illustration this morning, but it makes the point well. What did he do wrong when the man said it was okay? What line did he cross, if any? Well, the current moral standard is if two people consent to something, then it's okay. Problem being, this man consented to giving up his life. The man who ate the other man went into a mental institution for a short amount of time, but was released because his lawyer fought for consent and got it. This man is walking around the streets, currently in Germany. Next time you're thinking about visiting there, uh, look up his name online first. We attribute value to temporal things, and we make gods of them. We attribute value to... To temporal things and make gods of them. Where do I get that from? Because these people did not value the Creator. Instead, they put value on the creature, on the things God created. They put a higher value on him and that, on them. Excuse me. And that's happening today, even as we speak. What's the solution for all this? What is the solution that we are are looking for? How can we fix these things possibly? Our nation was set up on the idea that you and I could self-govern. That we could take care of ourselves, our own finances, our own uh, relationships. That you and I could settle our own disputes. That we could take care of our own personal property. And that we would not need increasing intrusion from higher authority that you and i could take care of our basic needs and when we could not do that anymore we would appeal to a higher authority that was the idea that's where we need to start with this morning that's what scripture calls us to look at the verses here therefore god gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Does everyone see it there? It's there. What do we have to do? It's simple. It's so easy. It's serve the Creator. We don't set about our lives to serve things. That's what got these people into trouble. They decided to throw away God, throw away all of his righteous commands, throw away the things that he told us we should do to live the best possible life. They threw all this away and decided to serve stuff. To worship all of these, these, these entities that they, that they made into gods that are not gods. Creeping things. Creatures. This translates into today some of the things that we worship. Television. Opinions family members and it really really makes a wreck of our lives when god is not in his proper place so they worshiped things in place of god and the truth of this passage is all people worship something they exchanged the doxa of god the glory of god the magnificence of god for less And in their exchange, God withdrew his hand. You and I need to be every single day, every single moment about serving the Creator in all things. We've got to take the gospel into every conversation, into every thought. When you're watching the news, bring the gospel into the news with you. When you are reading a book, bring the gospel in there with you. When you're having a conversation with a loved one, bring the gospel in there with you. Well, actually, I believe this. Bring the gospel with you. Do not let it sit aside. It's the power of God, the power of salvation for all who believes. You and I need to make sure that first and foremost, before anything else, that our lives are set about, serving the Creator. In today's culture, in today's society, we have a lot of things that are coming against the church, and it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. You and I need something steady we can stand on. We can stand on serving the Creator and Him alone. We can stand on the fact that He created all things, He created all things good, and we messed it up, and He is bringing about redemption and restoration. That's the message we need to take in every single conversation. Let's pray together. You are God holy and mighty.